Welcome to this episode of Litigation Briefs, Media Shorts on Long Courts. I'm Scott Dodson, a distinguished professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law and the director of the Center for Litigation and Courts, which produces this series. President Ronald Reagan made history when he appointed Sandra Day O'Connor as the first woman on the US Supreme Court. That appointment eroded outdated patriarchal norms and traditions, such as the justices calling each other brother justice. Today, the Supreme Court is one third women and the rest of the federal bench has an even larger percentage. But who were other female judicial trailblazers and what are their stories? Here to help me with these questions is my guest, Marin Levy, professor of law at Duke Law School. Marin, welcome to the show. This is a total delight for me, Scott. Thank you for having me. Who, were, who was the very first woman confirmed to the federal judiciary? Yes, yeah, so to find the answer to that question, we actually have to go back to the 1920s and there we will meet our heroine. And so that would be one Genevieve Klein. And what is her story? Yeah, so it's a really fun one. So Genevieve Rose Klein was born in Ohio in 1877. And then she goes off and attends Oberlin for college and ends up receiving her law degree from Baldwin Wallace University. And then, and I love this part. So at her brother's suggestion, she attends a speech by Senator Burton of Ohio on tariffs of all things. And we can basically think of this as her aha moment. So she decides based on this speech that tariffs are tremendously important. So she begins to study them and even starts to give talks to various women groups about the subject. So this sets up the perfect opportunity for Genevieve because um, right around this time, President Warren Harding was looking for women he could appoint to prominent positions within government. So she comes to his attention and Harding decides, this is the one for me, I'm gonna appoint Genevieve to be a customs appraiser. This then sets up another perfect opportunity for our heroine. So fast forward just a little bit, in 1928, we have President Calvin Coolidge and he has a seat to fill on the US Customs Court. So just as a side note, that's an Article I court. It's basically the precursor to the Court of International Trade that we have today. So he then selects Genevieve and the news makes quite a splash. So the New York Times ran this great headline, Woman for Customs Court. Um, and the article itself is really, uh, it's funny and kind of delightful. So it goes on to note her rather diminutive stature. So she was quite petite in person. Um, but the article then goes on to compliment her and say that her importance was actually an inverse ratio to her size. So pretty cute. Um, but with that, Genevieve Klein becomes the first woman on the federal bench. And that's where she stayed for 25 years. The U.S. Customs Court is a really important specialist federal court. Who was the first woman appointed to an Article Three generalist court? Yeah, so that would be Florence Allen, and she is one of my absolute favorites. We can think of her as really the queen of firsts. So she was born in 1884 in Ohio, and she ends up going to Case Western Reserve for college. And I should say, Florence was really something of a Renaissance woman. So in addition to excelling at school, she was also a musician, very talented one, um, and ends up spending time in Germany to study piano in her early 1920s. So just to emphasize, like this is one really cool lady. Uh, but she finally settles on law for her career and she attends the University of Chicago Law School where she was the only woman in a class of 100. 
Okay, so just astonishingly, by the end of the winter quarter, um, again, despite being the only woman in the group, she ends up ranking second in her class. But she finds Chicago to be pretty inhospitable to women, um, so much so that she ends up transferring to NYU. And it's it's worth noting at the time, NYU was a bit of a friendlier place to women. They'd actually been admitting women for over 20 years at that point. So kudos to NYU. So here she is. She's transferred. And Florence is once again blazing an academic trail. She graduates as the um, salutatorian in uh, just a couple years later. But alas, no New York law firm would hire her. So she returns home to Ohio, turns to the public sector. She's actually in public service at this point. Uh, she's the first woman in the country to serve as an assistant prosecutor. Uh, but as I like to say at this point, Florence was just getting started. So the very next year, she ends up running for a, a seat on the Ohio Court of Common Pleas, and she wins. So that makes her the first woman in the country elected to a court of general jurisdiction. Now, this part of the story is where we might raise our eyebrows just a little bit. Some of her male colleagues suggested that she should confine her judging to quote unquote domestic disputes on account of the fact that she was a lady judge. Um, but Florence, who never married, for her part demurred, pointing out that unlike her male colleagues, she didn't actually have sufficient expertise in the domestic domain. Gotta hand it to Florence. Um, so she was able to fend that off a little bit. But again, she was really just getting started. A few years later, she ends up running for a, a seat on the Ohio Supreme Court and she wins that one too. So at that point, she was the first woman ever to serve on any state's highest court. Um, so she was a state Supreme Court justice for 11 years and in that time earned a reputation really as a stellar jurist. She then grabs the attention of FDR, who names her to a vacant seat on the Sixth Circuit. This is all now in 1934. So this is truly extraordinary because that move made Florence not only the first woman appointed to a federal court of appeals, but also the first woman appointed to an Article III court full stop. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, her male colleagues were not exactly thrilled with all of the glass on the ground from all of these shattered ceilings, shall we say. Um, and in fact, they continued to dine at an all-male club without her. But Florence eventually won them over, and she served with distinction for 25 years, uh, even serving as chief judge of that court in the late 1950s. So as I like to think about it, all's well that ends well with Florence. Wow, Florence has a lot of firsts. She's um, amazing, truly amazing. How about the first Black woman in U.S. courts? Yes. So this is a very special lady named Jane Bolin. Um, so to get her story, we go back to 1908 when she was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, and I should say her father was a lawyer and that clearly inspired her growing up. So she ends up going to college. And even though Vassar was practically in her backyard, uh, they would not enroll black women. So as a result, she ended up going off to Wellesley instead she graduates in 1928, one of the very top students in her class. Uh, so following up on that childhood inspiration, Jane then attends law school. She enrolls in Yale, where she was one of only three women and the only black student at the time. And when she graduated in 1931, she became the first black woman to receive a degree from Yale Law School. So truly extraordinary. Um, but like 
So many of the other women we've noted so far, Jane wasn't able to find employment. So she said, looking back, I was rejected on account of being a woman, but I'm sure that race also played a part. So what did she do? Uh, I love this. She goes out and starts her own firm. And then a few years later, she was hired by New York City's Corporation Council's office. So, you know, they represent the city of New York. So that was a, a major accomplishment really in and of itself. Um, but then not long after that, something truly extraordinary happened. So in the summer of 1939, she gets word that Mayor LaGuardia wants to see her. Um, and she later said, looking back, I was very apprehensive, right? So she's worried that she's done something to land herself in hot water, but she couldn't think you know, what that could possibly be. So as it turned out, the mayor said right when they met, I'm going to make you a judge, raise your right hand. Um, and that's of course what actually happened. So this all made Jane Boleyn the first black woman judge in the entire country. Now she was assigned to the domestic relations court, um, which she really loved and she served there with distinction for 40 years. So switch gears for a minute. Who was the first woman who argued a case before the US Supreme Court? Yeah, so that's another special one. You, there's a little bit of a theme here, right? All of these women are just tremendous and really like extraordinary characters in their own right. So so that would be Belva Lockwood. Belva was born in 1830. Um, and it's worth noting that her early years were particularly challenging. So she's married at 18, and then she's tragically widowed at the age of 24 with a toddler to raise. Uh, so what does she do? She has to go out and support herself and her young child. So she teaches school where she soon discovers that the male teachers were being paid twice as much, if not more, than the female teachers. Um, so Belva didn't take this lightly, and she actually goes to the school trustees to complain. And at that point, she's rebuffed. She's basically told, you know, I'm sorry, but we simply can't help you as this is the way of the world. That's how it was put to her. Um, so credit to Belva, she decides to pursue a legal career. Again, this is just something truly extraordinary for this time uh, for a young mother. So she applies to Columbia for law school only to be rejected for the risk that she might, quote unquote, distract the male students. You have to love that. Uh, so she enrolls in the National University Law School instead, which admitted her. But then when it comes to graduation time, they refuse to grant Belva a diploma because she's a woman. Um, and the problem with all of this was that she actually needed that piece of paper in order to be admitted to the DC bar, right, in order to practice. So what does she do? Once again, Belva doesn't take this lying down. She actually writes to President Ulysses S. Grant, who just happened to be the president ex officio of the law school. Um, and a few days later, Belva got her diploma. So having won her diploma, she then had another challenge in front of her, though. She still had to win her way into court. So by this point, she'd actually remarried, and there were some courtrooms uh, that wouldn't let her appear precisely because she was a married woman. So once again, not being one to take things sitting or lying down, uh, Belva goes out and lobbies Congress to pass an anti-discrimination law that would allow women to appear in any court in the district, including the Supreme Court. Um, and then in 1879, Congress did just that. And then again, just continuing with the extraordinary here, uh, Belva became the first woman admitted to the Supreme Court bar later that year. Um, and she was reportedly sworn in amidst a baiting of breath and a craning of necks. I just, I love that phrase. I love the, in, the image that that conjures up. 
Um, and then in November of 1880, she actually argues her first case before the court. And that made her the very first woman to argue before the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, unfortunately for Belva, she ends up losing that case, uh, but she was back before the court arguing again in 1906. And that time she won. Um, and when she reflected back later in life on her career, she said, I have never stopped fighting. Uh, my cause was the cause of thousands of women. And I think by this point, it's fair to say uh, millions, millions of women, Belva, thanks to you. How about any other firsts for women? Yeah, so uh, there are just a few more to quickly mention. Um, if we look to other tiers within the federal courts, it's worth noting that Bernita Shelton Matthews was the very first woman appointed to a federal district court. So specifically, President Harry Truman appoints her to the D.C. District Court in 1949. Um, and then, of course, most famously, we have Sandra Day O'Connor, who was the first woman to serve as a Supreme Court justice. So President Reagan appoints her to the high court in 1981. Um, and if we're speaking of the court, it's also worth noting Elena Kagan was the very first woman confirmed as U.S. Solicitor General. And that was something that happened as recently as 2009. Pretty extraordinary to think about that. Marin, I can't say that you're the first woman I've had on the show. The first person I had on the show was a woman, but you're definitely the first woman on the show to talk about women judges and hopefully not the last. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. This episode was produced by the Center for Litigation and Courts at UC Hastings College of the Law. If you enjoyed this episode of Litigation Briefs, I hope you'll tune in to future episodes. In fact, I hope you'll consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and audio podcast which can be accessed through the Center for Litigation and Courts website at sites.uchastings.edu slash CLC. While you're at it, encourage a friend to do the same. This is Litigation Briefs, respectfully submitted, Scott Dodson.